Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour History. Today I have my friend, Inkeshi Michelle. Hi everyone. Yeah, so Inkeshi has a Master's of Public Health. You want to tell the people where to find you? Sure. So I'm on the socials, uh, mostly Instagram. I have an Instagram page. You can find me at that public health chick and I post a bunch of stuff on there. Mostly my focus is health education. So a lot of content is based around just health promotion, health education. Um, I love to talk about food insecurity, environmental racism, women's health, um, and all of that good stuff. So cool. I'll link that in the description of the podcast, too, just in case anyone's worried about the spelling or anything like that. Cool. So, let's see. Today, we wanted to talk about... I wanted to ask you some public health things, especially since you're a public health, like, you're, like, the closest person I know to public health. We're in a pandemic. And then something that would kind of intersect with public health and history. Right. So, I believe that, you know... Natalie's talked about this quite often, um, gentrification, right? We all know, well, a lot of us know that redlining has caused gentrification in many areas. And so I like to actually tie that into today and how gentrification actually affects food security. So So what's food security? So food security, I don't have, I guess, like a WHO definition or a CDC definition just in my head, Mm -hmm. but basically... It's folks that have enough food to eat on a day-to-day basis for them and their families, right? And on the flip side, food insecurity um, means basically the exact opposite. So folks that do not have access to quality food um, from day-to-day. So I was going to ask, so it's not just being able to eat, but being able to eat nutritious food. Right. Okay. Exactly. And so... Unfortunately, due to redlining, that that affects housing and things like that, but it also affects our health. So um, looking at different areas, so for example, I used to live in a city called Van Nuys, California. It's in the San Fernando Valley area, a little bit east of Los Angeles City, and kind of, I would say, like a honestly, like a lower income area. And so within like a mile radius of my house, there was at least five liquor stores, um, a bunch of fast food options, no health food stores. I had to drive to the other city. So like Encino or like Northridge, where I actually went to school. Uh, shout out to CSUN, Cal State Northridge. <laughs> um, that's where they had like the Trader Joe's and the Whole Foods and the, the grocery stores that had like, you know, fresh produce and things like that. So how many like miles would you say that was or roughly like how long in a car, like without traffic? About 15 to 20 minutes. Okay, so considerable distance. Yep, Yeah. exactly. And so that's a big issue, right? When someone doesn't have the means to even a car uh, or public transit or they have a lot of children, they're getting on and off of buses and things like that, or they work multiple jobs, right? It's a large inconvenience for them to have to go to a whole different city just to access healthy, quality, and affordable foods, right? Yeah. Because that's the other part of it. And sorry if I'm rambling. No, I get really no, excited it's excited about good. this topic. <laughs> um, so there are places people can buy food, right? So yeah. 7-Eleven has food, right? But is it quality food? Is it healthy food? 
Is it affordable? You can go into 7-Eleven, I'm sure, and get, you know, bread, eggs, milk, and other essentials. Mm -hmm. But they're going to be like two to three bucks higher, Mm -hmm. right, in cost than grocery stores and things like that. Just like CVS. Right. They have stuff, but it's like obviously marked up. Right. Yeah, pretty good Right. Like, I hate going in there for stuff Mm because I'm like, heck no. (laughs) Unless I'm like really hungry, I'll grab something or a bag of chips or whatever. But um, so that's, that's again, a problem, right? Access. Okay. Okay. So... I know you mentioned Van Nuys, but that makes me think about when I lived in Imperial Beach because, you know, Imperial Beach, even now, I mean, they're trying to, they're definitely, you know, spending a lot of money making it more of a destination to live versus like, okay, just kind of yeah. like the backwater of Coronado like right. it used to be considered. But um, when I lived in IB, there weren't any like chain grocery stores within almost a mile. So... Mm-hmm. We had, I mean, there was like a um, like a bodega market, like right. a, like maybe a couple blocks away. But you know, and I'm sure you would be able to talk about this too. Like the options weren't always the best, or it is sometimes marked up. But like yep. if you wanted to get to like like Vaughn's, and even Vaughn's is expensive. Right, so I high. wouldn't like I don't think there was any health food stores. Right, there were just places that happened to sell right, you know, fruits or vegetables, which is fine. But yeah, like at, I know at Sprouts, it's a lot cheaper, especially mm-hmm. when you're buying like a head of lettuce for a dollar versus four dollars or right. something like that. Right. So it made me think about that. And you're right. Same thing with the driving. Like I was I had the privilege of being able to like get in my car and drive 20 minutes to a Sprouts in right. Chula Vista if I wanted to go to like a health food store. But if someone's on the bus, you know what I mean, and hauling water mm-hmm. or food, it's going to be much more difficult. Exactly. That's a good point. Like bringing up privilege. I too had the privilege, even in grad school, being, you know, the quote unquote broke college student. I still had a car, mm-hmm. you know, in L.A. you need a car. So I definitely was able to just hop in, go to Trader Joe's 20 minutes away and get whatever I needed. And you brought up um, quality of food, too. So yeah. a lot of these places will have produce and things like that. But it's usually browning and just older, maybe expired even sometimes. So that quality is there. Or very right. There. You yeah. have to use it like now. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you mentioned gentrification. And so I was thinking about this, too. And I don't know if I've talked about this in a previous podcast, but it's really wild to me that I feel, okay, like, well, and then the history aspect, right? I feel like there are so many people who want to buy, like, property and want to buy a house, right? Whose grandparents or parents, especially if they're, like, white, for example, like, had privileges that, like, other people didn't have Mm -hmm. to be able to set up generational wealth. But it's like they are they are moving to those lower income neighborhoods because they can buy property there cheaper because mm-hmm. maybe they didn't have as much privilege as other families in their race or whatever, or even right. amongst people of color, but it does push those people out. So right. what do you think about a place, even if other, even if the same cultural group is living there, mm-hmm. right? That's still considered gentrification, right? Cause like, kind of like what we were talking about, like, even when we were like living in parts of town, we could still access better parts of town. Right. We were just renting there for, you know, because of our budget and things like that. True. So for those people, when people move into any part of town that maybe they're not from, even if they're part of like the cultural or racial group Mm -hmm. and then, and even more so if they're not, but then they start putting in like the whole foods and the smoothie places and the fitness studios Mm -hmm. 
what do you think about that? Like, how does that affect the public health of the people who have been there the whole time? That's interesting. I actually thought about this same exact thing because I was considering a job in the Bay Area. And I was like, man, like, it's so expensive there. Um, Gentrification is a big issue there. You know, we have the tech industry moving closer and closer to Oakland. And, um, you know, you have these high income folks coming in, buying buying in areas they normally would not um, be able to buy. Lose my train of thought, sorry. Well, they probably wouldn't have looked in those areas. That's exactly, thank you. Lost my little train of thought. Um, And here I was thinking, oh, okay, I can live in Oakland. I'll be making X amount of dollars and I'll move into Oakland. I'm like, am I going to be essentially participating in participating in gentrification myself i'm a black woman but but i'm contributing now to that gentrification so it's interesting i i guess i feel pretty neutral on it because again it's it's back to privilege right here i was considering a pretty high paying job and i had the access to look on my phone and look up different apartments in the area and actually consider moving to a very um unaffordable place you know what i mean so it's pretty nuanced, I would say. I don't know if I go one way or the other, necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tricky. But, you know, that's a good point. I think, especially because intersectionality is something that, it's not just something that's on paper, like, we right. live it. And I've talked about that before, where it's like, yes, I feel like everybody occupies different spaces of privilege throughout their life. Definitely. So, yes, you and I are both, like, Black American women, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we do have privileges that like other people don't. Right. And so you're, I mean, that's good that you thought about that. And even sometimes I found myself thinking like, okay, like where's the line? Right. I mean, like how am, am I contributing to it? Even though like I'm from this like racial group or cultural group, but I'm not from this area. Right. So am I contributing to the problem? Because I'm still bringing the same money that anyone else is bringing. Right. Into that area. It's tricky, right? It's like at the same time, you know, it's like. We're doing what our ancestors wanted couldn't, us to do or, or couldn't, couldn't do, do yeah. right? That whole, you know, I'm all for upward mobility of black folks. And I'm a firm believer in every generation being better than the last. You know, so I expect my future kids to do better than me mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So it's tricky. It's tricky, okay. you know. Okay. I mean, I understand that. Yeah. All right. So while I have you here, I kind of also wanted to talk about some of the Things that are COVID related, just because, you know, you are in public health and I know you were on the front line administering vaccines, right? Like in the hazmat suits, doing the drive-thrus, dying on hot Sacramento days. Um, But what are some things that, you know, you want to say about that that are going on in your city or that you're noticing trends? So um, I definitely worked the COVID front lines um, most of last year in 2020, which was a crazy experience um it was just interesting like seeing in real time so actually let me back up so public health in general um is usually very underfunded um and what i mean by that is if you compare it to like healthcare, i always call public health like the stepchild of healthcare, right so looking at healthcare, it's like a multi what trillion dollar same but okay i didn't know that yeah a lot of people kind of lump it together yeah like health (laughs) right they're like oh yeah health yeah whatever but it is very different because okay. public health, taking it even more back, is more focused on like prevention and education and, you know, essentially preventing illness and disease. Right. Okay. Um, and so historically, very underfunded. We rely a lot on like grant funding and things like that. Even currently, like uh, the I work under two grants at my job right now. 
And so we rely on those monies to help us fund the things that we do and push forward the uh, public health initiatives. So knowing that, like, like I just said, you know, I work in the COVID front lines and it was interesting seeing in real time that funding decrease during a pandemic that we've never seen before in our current history. So it was interesting. Like I was wearing the, not necessarily hazmat suit, but like PPE, right? So in the PPE gowns, gloves, masks, face shields, and all of that, working outside, mind you, and you know, very hot weather. I worked the COVID drive-through testing site for um, context. Okay. And at first we had like the normal cloth PPE and things like that. It was breathable material and stuff like that. But I'll never forget, we would grab our bags in the morning. We grabbed the bags of our PPE and they were plastic now. Like okay. they changed them from mesh to plastic. And I was like, that's weird, but okay. And then, and so mind you, you're working, imagine working in a plastic bag essentially in a hundred degree weather. Wow. You can imagine what that's like. So that was interesting. But um, later finding out that I live in Sacramento County. So Sacramento County Board of Supervisors approved, don't quote me on the exact number, but it was like something like $18 million or something like that to the Sheriff's Department right during again during this pandemic and public health department got about four million so four million spread across a large county is mm-hmm. not a lot of money so hence us getting the plastic ppe and things like that to cut to, um, to save cut. money exactly wow exactly and i'll never forget we started like almost hoarding uh some of the ppe to save it i still have one in my trunk actually so i'm like i'm saving this because i don't know if we're gonna get like the cloth ones ever again well you shouldn't have to do that like exactly you're you're testing people to make sure that like people can be taken care of exactly and you're like i don't want to like pass out while i'm out here in the heat right it's very dangerous yeah we had to take shifts every i think 30 minutes we had to rotate out because they didn't want us getting sick and fainting you know And so it was crazy um, just seeing that in real time. And I remember getting very, very angry and very frustrated. And on top of that, not getting hazard pay. Yeah. And here I am, you know, coming into close contact with people that can potentially have COVID and things like that. And so it was just crazy. But um, but yeah, I always call public health the stepchild of healthcare because we're not funded like healthcare is. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And but it's important work. Yeah, we do such important work yeah. and we have to fight constantly to get this funding. I mean, some of you don't know this because like you may not have known me that long if you know me in my personal life, but I used to go to Inkeshi's job when she worked at Operation Samahan in yeah. um, National City, mm-hmm. and they would do a lot of work with like high schoolers. And it's so important. Most of us who especially came through like South Bay educational system know that unless you just had a really good like you know sex health teacher or a health teacher in general, you weren't getting a lot of information. Right. And so like that work is that preventative work is so important because you would even tell me some of the things that you know you heard where you know kids would think oh, they, this is like this. You're like, no, it's not. Like, who told you that? And right. It's because there's a lack of information and right. lack of sharing. Definitely. That's interesting about the sheriff's department. I just read um, on the LA Times that the LAPD, like, I think like half of the force is unvaccinated. Wow. And they're actually, I think they're looking at potentially um, suing the county for saying that they have to be vaccinated. Wow. And it's like, but you got all this money. And that's the thing. Like, just so you, like even in San Diego, like you, you got all this money. You took the money for the pandemic, mm-hmm. but now you don't want to get the thing that helps prevent the pandemic from continuing in exactly. the first place. Exactly. That doesn't make any sense. Like, so now it's about, you know, your rights and all that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Sorry, dad. Like I'm working <laughs> sorry, on the dad. <laughs> yeah. It's ironic, right? I just think it's really interesting how it's like you have these 
I'm like, even when the funding happened, like, you know, I don't know. I said before, I don't do the numbers. I don't do the tech, right? But definitely don't do the numbers. But what was all that money for? Like, especially if you're not doing the sort of outreach and now you won't even get the vaccine to help stop the spread of it, especially because you're coming into contact with people for the, you know, under the guise of public safety. Exactly. And like you could potentially be exposing yourself, your family and everything. I know the vaccines are controversial and that's what I kind of wanted to ask you real quick about too, is just, Mm -hmm. I know there's a a history, there's a history of, you know, especially black people, but people of color and other vulnerable communities and black people in particular, because the the specific lineage is important, who have been, you know, unable to trust medical professionals because they've taken ourselves, you know, against our um, knowledge, like with Henrietta Lacks, or purposely given people diseases and didn't give them any sort of like way to remedy it because they were using them as tests. There's, you know, medical laboratories that even now still go to the um, private prisons and who, you know, make incentives for people to take that. And again, these people aren't in a position to consent. So it's taking advantage of them. So as a public health person, what do you have to sort of say about knowing the history since you're like a black American, you've heard about these things too. And then also being from the public health aspect. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I know folks bring up, you know, Tuskegee a lot as a main driver for vaccine hesitancy. And that's definitely one of the more prominent um, cases, if you will, or examples. But there's so many like um, reading Medical Apartheid, that book, like it just goes into all of those different uh, cases and stories um, from the past. And I just want to say, too, to me, uh, just my opinion, I think there's a difference between being an anti-vaxxer and being vaccine hesitant. Okay. Right? Okay, because we don't really hear that term. So that's Yeah. Cool. So vaccine hesitancy, right, is what um, I feel a lot of African-American folks are feeling. And, of course, knowing the history of us being guinea pigs and things like that comes into play. Um, even myself, I was a little vaccine hesitant. I'm not going to, you know, lie about that. Um, but all we can really do... I never judge people, first and foremost. Like, even as a health educator, I'm there to educate folks on um, disease prevention, things like that. But I'm never the one to say, you need to get this vaccine. You can look at my page, my public health page, and I stay pretty neutral about the vaccine. I'm a proponent. I'm like, hey, I think it will protect us. Um, But I never was the type that's, like, pushy about it because everyone has to make that decision for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've gotten plenty of vaccines throughout my lifetime, and I'm still standing. I'm a healthy, healthy woman. So, um, you know, I don't fault people for having that hesitancy. Um, A woman I was actually doing a lot of COVID presentations with um, over the summer, she was actually hesitant as as well, too. And then we both got vaccinated and just educated ourselves even more. Um, And now she's, you know, educating folks on her page and things like that. So all I can do is spread facts, no matter what the public health topic is, right? I'm Mm -hmm. here to inform. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Because, I mean, even like with me following your page, I've learned like new terms, right? Like things that I, of course, don't think about because I'm not in the field. Right. Like even like you just said, vaccine hesitant. Right. Like you're right. It's usually positioned as like one or the other, not like with people who are like 
riding the middle or have exactly. legitimate concerns, right? Right. right. Um, they sort of just get lumped in with like anti-vaxxers. anti-vaxxers and it's right. like they're not necessarily. Right, right. Because it's not always that conspiracy theory side of it. It's mm-hmm. like, no, some people just wanted to wait it out. And that was me. Okay. I'm like, let me just see, you know, let me roll, let me see a couple of phases of the vaccine roll out, if you will. And... Um, play it by ear, right? And then, of course, I got vaccinated. So, and I'm definitely not an anti-vaxxer. Again, mm-hmm. I've gotten plenty of vaccines. I get my flu shot. So, it was never about that for me. Okay. Yeah. See, and I never, especially since having acupuncture the last, like, seven years, I haven't gotten the flu shot. Okay. Yeah, I haven't gotten it. I hadn't gotten it before this. I got it last year. Okay. But I haven't gotten it, hadn't gotten it before and since you had worked at Operation Salon. Okay. Because you told me, oh, they, they're giving them for free. Like, yeah. You're so, like, okay. I got yeah, it. I you know that. what I mean? But then I ended up getting the flu, and I was like, all right. And then with acupuncture, I just never really got sick again. Nope. But I got it last year because I was like, well, I want to make sure that if I do get sick, I don't have to worry about it potentially being something else. Exactly. You know I mean, so just one more thing just mm-hmm. to check off the list. Right. But yeah. And that's the whole thing with the vaccine, too. It's like a lot of the actual anti-vaxxers, they're like, well, you could still get it. You could still get COVID. And you absolutely can, right? Yeah. Especially with the Delta variant out right now. It was never about like, okay, I have the vaccine. I'm never going to ever get COVID. It's just decreasing the virulence of the disease. What's like virulence? It's them? basically like the severity. Okay. Right? So you can still get COVID, but you're less likely to have it so bad where you end up in the hospital okay. or dead. Or dead. Yeah. So it just cuts down on, on that. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on and having my a little episode with me. Yeah. So remember, hey. I want to tell people where they can find you again. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at that public health chick. And I, maybe I'll get a Facebook page. I don't know. I might throw that in there eventually. But right now, just Instagram. Well, yeah. So I'll tag the Instagram in the description box if anyone wants to check it out. But her page is definitely great. It has a lot of great insight into, you know, California health measures, public health measures. Like I said, I always learn something um, that is going on that I'm unaware about because I'm always just in the history books and like trying to create content. So it's nice to have a quick resource that I can, you know, use to do outside research, to look things up and to really just be more tapped in even outside of the pandemic. It's important. Definitely. So hopefully it gets more funding because obviously it's very important and it's needed. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. See everyone later. Bye. Bye.